You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad he didn't come down. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter number 20. This morning, I suppose we're going to be dealing with one of the most amazing, remarkable truths that I think I have come across in the Bible. And there's many, but this one really stands out to me. Amazing. John 20 and verse number 24. Now, this is after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes to the upper room where the disciples were hiding for fear initially. But in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, verse 24, the Bible says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas saith unto him, My Lord and my God. He felt no need to touch him at all. He saw him. Verse 29, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now, who's that referring to? That's correct. That's referring to us. And the Bible says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the midst, and it goes on. Uh, But uh, I want to preach on this message today on His scars speak. His scars speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for the wonderful privilege to be in the house of God. Please help us, God, over these next few moments to be able to grasp something of these great truths. And I pray that everyone here will be able to appreciate the intimacy and the personal nature of the sacrifice that You gave there on the cross, Yourself, and that You rose again the third day. And help us, dear Lord, if there's anybody that's not saved, I pray they would be saved before this service is over. And anyone uh, that is saved, God, I pray that they'd be encouraged by these truths as well. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Amen. Did you know that every scar has a story to tell? Yeah. Doesn't Every scar has a story to tell. There's probably not anyone among us that does not have some uh, scars. My dad taught me a lesson about scars when I was very young. I remember one time in particular that I was playing army in the woods. And I stepped on a nail. 
Now, I was playing Army, so in my mind, it was just like a booby trap that had been put there by Charlie. Um, you see, I was Chuck Norris, and I was fighting the VC and the North Vietnamese in that jungle there in our right outside of our neighborhood. Uh, I was really into Chuck Norris and uh, Mission in Action and uh, some of these other uh, uh, movies. But uh, somehow I made it back to my friend's house. I mean, I stepped on that nail, man, the pain, and man, blood shot up, had blood splatter up onto my, uh, my pants and... Made it back to my friend's house. I borrowed some of his old crutches, and I, walked, I went home on those crutches. <laughs> and I got, I got home, and right away, my mom's like, oh my goodness, what happened? I'm like, oh, I stepped on a nail. You know, and well, of course, here's mom, and she's, uh, she's good, she gets me, and boy, just leads me in there to the kitchen and sets me up on the sink. I don't know why she did that, but just started cleaning that foot and trying to doctor it up and everything and just giving me all that good attention. But my dad, my dad never so much as got out of his chair. I don't think my dad even glanced at me. And he just said, Son, that's just another medal. It's just a battle scar in life. And man, that annoyed the devil out of me. It didn't matter. I mean, I might be tore up. I remember one time I just stripped just all the skin off the back of my leg going down a hill on a bike. All this stuff. Never once did my dad say, Oh my gosh, are you okay, son? It's all right, boy. Hush your crying. That's all right, you know. And I'm like, come on, man. But the thing that he taught me that I appreciate that he taught me is that uh, the scars really do tell a story and scars tell us a lot. Now, there's scars that we bear and there's a great message in the scars that we bear. But uh, I, from that, felt like scars were kind of a battle, a scar, a battle sign to be scared, uh, be proud of. I'm sorry, to be proud of. I, uh, so from that point on, anytime I got a scar, I'm like, cool, man. Uh, I remember, I remember a couple times I've gotten hit on the face, and I'm like, I got one right across my nose. Uh, but I'm just like, man, uh, I hope that leaves a good scar. Now you may not have that perspective, but ever since then, I think scars are cool. Now chances are everyone bears a few scars over their lifetime from the wear and tear of physical bodies. Sometimes people may be proud of their scars, but there's others that can be very ashamed of their scars, especially if they mar appearance and, or disfigure someone in any way. Not all scars are physical. Some scars are emotional or psychological scars, and those are just as real as the physical scars that we bear. But perhaps the most famous scars ever born by any man were the scars, the marks, the wounds that were left on the body of Jesus. Here Jesus is. He has, uh, at this point that we read in our text, He had died. Well, you know, you look, uh, the, the, the one part, it was eight days. So 11 days prior, He had died on the cross. He was in the tomb for three days and three nights. By the way, you don't get three days and three nights between Friday and Sunday morning, but you can do that math yourself. But three days and three nights, Jesus was in the grave. On the third day, Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again. But when He appeared to His disciples, guess what He still had? Those scars. Those scars. In His glorified body, He had these scars. Why? Because these scars have a message. These scars are a sermon. These scars are the focal point of this passage of Scripture that we just read. 
And as we examine uh, those scars as Jesus did, or as Thomas did, I think we can say along with Thomas, my Lord and my God, His scars speak. Now, when we imagine that, these scars, He had them then, a week after the crucifixion. But you want to know something? The Lord Jesus still bears those marks today. And did you realize that the only, the only man-made thing in heaven will be the scars of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learn in the Bible that He will bear that for all eternity. Now it's a good question and a thought-provoking question, I suppose. Why? Why does Jesus still bear His scars? He certainly has the power to make those scars disappear. When He was glorified and rose again, He could have just said, you know what, let's make this body nice, smooth, no evidence, no evidence of my humiliation, no evidence of the pain and the suffering that I went through on the cruel cross that day, no evidence of the beard being ripped from my face or the nails being driven in my hand, no evidence of the cat of nine tails ripping and plowing my back. No evidence of these things, but He didn't. If he wanted to, he could erase every ugly reminder on his body of what happened to him on Calvary that day. But he still bears these marks and they speak to us today. And as we think about it, these scars are not a thing of horror, but they're a thing of beauty and they're a thing of honor rather than objects of scorn and of shame. Because I'll tell you something about scars, by the way, from a practical level. If you've got a scar in your life, this would be a whole other message, but I would say that that means that you were hurt, but it means that you healed. Amen? Amen. It means that you're still around and that you survived. And so there's a lot of positive things that come in the message and in the sermon and and, and the speaking of the scars. Jesus will bear the scars of Calvary for all eternity. Those scars are spoke in time past to his they, they spoke in time past to his disciples in our text. Today they speak to us. And for all eternity, these scars will speak. Is that not a profound thought that he, that he wants to bear these scars for eternity? He said, well, I'm not so sure uh, that He has. I haven't thought about it. But let's notice this. What is the sermon of the scars? What do these scars tell us? Number one, these scars tell us that He is a suffering Savior. He was a suffering Savior. Isaiah 53 verse 5, the Bible says, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. The Bible says, "...who His own self," in 1 Peter 2.24, "...bear our sins in His own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed." Now, these 
For all eternity, we will be reminded of the suffering Savior. When we look at Him, we will be reminded of the One who paid the ultimate price. We will be reminded of the blood that He shed for us on the cross of Calvary. You see, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. So we'll be reminded of that for all eternity, but it is the message of the scars today. It is the present message of the cross that's bound up in this. Why? Because we learned some lessons in this. Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did He have to be marked? Why did He have to be beaten? Why did He have to be those nails driven in His hands? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now wait a minute. Jesus never sinned. So he was not going, he did not die for his own sins, but he died for your sins. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I was going to say this in conclusion of the message, but I want to go ahead and put it out there right now. The scars of Jesus speak, but did you know that it's through our lives and through our mouths that they need to speak? Amen. His scars presently speak. We need to speak. Why? Because Jesus bore the sins of this world, he bore the sins, he took it on himself. When we look around, I think about some of the prayer requests. I think about uh, the, the, the lady that's in an abusive relationship. I think about so many people that are being dominated and domineered and, and robbed and, and hurt by sin and the effects of sin. Folks, in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ is the remedy for those things. In the Gospel of Christ, in the remedy. In Him bearing those scars, there's help for those folks. And that's what those scars tell us. I'm glad that I learned about the, uh, about the suffering of Christ. I'm glad I learned about the cross of Christ. I, I suppose, like many of you, I, was, I knew of the cross most of my life. Some of you were raised in homes where you were taught the truth of the cross. Some of you were raised in homes where you, did, where you maybe, may have missed the, the true message of the cross. But wasn't it a glorious day when you realized why Jesus went to Calvary? Yeah. And in short, that is because that's for me. Amen? That's to bear my sins. That's so that I can be forgiven. That's so that I can spend eternity with Him. Amen. Child of God, what, is, what, what do those scars say? They say that He was a suffering Savior. They tell us that there was only one way that you and I could be redeemed. And that was for Him to shed His life's blood. And that He was willing to do it. Oh, they speak to you. They speak to us today. You need to listen to the truth. Amen. You need to listen to the truth. And the truth is, this is how much He loves you. This is how much He cares about you. This is how much, this is how much He's invested into your life. God can seem so far off to so many people. But friend, I tell you, He's right there. The Bible says He's a very present help in the time of trouble. Amen. The Bible says that He is there for us. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. The Bible says, Wherefore He is able to save them to the uttermost Amen. that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He is right now, presently, this Savior. Why? Because He went that far for you. Amen. And He does not intend just to let you go to hell without trying to give you an opportunity. Child of God, He does not intend for you to go off into this world and to live in defeat whenever He's already invested this much into you. 
Because in all of this is not only your salvation, but it's your sanctification. It's your victory. It's the glory and the power of God manifest in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So we see... The, one, of the, one of the things that his scars say is that he's a suffering Savior. The other thing I want to say is this. His scars tell us that he is a sympathizing Savior. Amen. Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, he's touched with the filling of your infirmities. That word infirmity right there means weakness. He's touched by that. He feels that. He feels that weakness. He doesn't judge you for your weakness. He knows our weaknesses. And He cares. And the Bible says this. I like what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 2, verse 18. For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted, He is able to succor them that are, S-U-C-C-O-U-R, them that are tempted. That means to surround. That means to strengthen. That means to lift up. His scars have another message. He sympathizes. He understands pain. He understands hurt. He understands the things that we are going through. Not only does He understand it, but the Bible says that in in the same passage there in (coughs) Hebrews 4, that we can come with boldness to the throne of grace and we can find mercy and and grace to help in the time of need. He sympathizes and He will help you. He cares. He's sympathetic. I love what we learn about the Lord's nature in the illustration of the Good Samaritan. When the Bible says that He had compassion, the Good Samaritan had compassion on that man that had been beaten. The Good Samaritan had compassion on that man that had been robbed. Religion had passed that man by. So many other things passed that man by. But hallelujah, Jesus had compassion on Him. And He has compassion on you. Perhaps you've been robbed. Perhaps you've been beaten. Perhaps you're down in a ditch and can't seem to get yourself out. Folks, I want to tell you, there's a Savior that's not going to pass you by. There's a Savior that's not just going to come by and look and then keep on going. But there's a Savior that cares. He's compassionate. He's sympathetic. That word compassion literally means the word come. C-O-M, the prefix there, means with. Passion means and speaks of suffering. In other words, He enters into your suffering. He feels your pain. He feels your loneliness. He helps. He loves. He cares. He understands. Is it not discouraging sometimes when you get the sense that people don't think what you're going through is a big deal? Suck it up! Buttercup, quit your whining. Don't tell me about your problem. Don't tell me about your pain. I've had worse pain than that. Don't you hate that? You go to somebody, man, I'm having, what's going on? Well, man, I'm just kind of having this going on in my life. Oh, I've had that and worse. Jesus don't do that. 
Jesus is a sympathetic Savior. He cares. He understands. He will help you. Amen? So these scars speak. They say, number one, that He's a suffering Savior. He's a sympathizing Savior. I want to say this. He's a surviving Savior. Amen? Amen. He rose again. He rose again. He's alive. Did you know this morning that the bones of of other religious gods... The bones of other religious gods, you can go visit their tomb. Other religious leaders, you can go visit where they are buried or entombed. (laughs) You can't do that with Jesus. You can go and see where He was for three days. But it's not about where Jesus was. It's about where Jesus is. He's alive. He's a present God. He is real. Amen. There's a reason that he's been attacked for the last 2,000 years and he continues to be attacked. You know why? Because he's real. Because he's alive. Why don't people attack Buddha the way they attack Christ? Or Allah the way they attack Christ? Why not? I'll tell you why. They're not real. They're not real. Jesus is real. He's alive. He is well. He is with us today. And I understand that Buddha was a real person at some point, but what I'm saying is he's not around anymore. But people contend. Was it was it Napoleon Bonaparte that had one of his last, uh, some of his dying words is that thou thou hast uh, thou hast uh, conquered all thou Nazarene. There's been religious leaders and uh, political leaders and military leaders that have made it part of their pursuit to relinquish Christianity and Christ. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you can't stop Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can't stop Jesus because He is a surviving Savior. Yes. And then lastly, I want to say this. He is a, he's the sovereign Savior. Amen. Listen to these verses I'll share with you this morning. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Now, Zechariah is the book right before Malachi, and it's a prophecy about when the Lord returns to this earth. And friend, mark it down. Just as sure as He came the first time, He's coming back the second time. Amen. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, Then they will look on me whom they uh, look on me whom they have pierced. Zechariah 13, verse 6. Listen, the Bible says, And one, this is when Jesus returns for the second coming to set up his rule on this earth, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And Jesus will answer and say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So when He returns, by the way, that's a prophecy toward the nation of Israel, He's going to reveal Himself and He's going to show them and they're going to see these marks, these wounds that are in His hands and in His feet and wherever else on that, that, that's, that's able to see the, 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 the scars, the marks, the wounds that He still bears. Jesus will come again. And when He comes again, they're going to say with amazement, they're going to be astounded, they're going to ask the risen, returning Savior, what are those wounds in your hands? They've got a message, amen? And the message is that He is the Sovereign, amen? He is the King. He's the Sovereign Savior. After 2,000 years, the nail prints are still... In his hands. And he will answer, This is where I was wounded in the house of my friends. 
Oh, to imagine in the glorified, the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus, He still bears these marks. In the book of Revelation, we see the, the slain Lamb of God. See, the Lamb of God is a reference that goes back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, the first, the, the first Passover, when a lamb, a little lamb, had to be killed. And the blood had to be shed in order for, the, for them to pass over judgment and be delivered from Israel. God wanted to teach them a lesson. By the way, the, the nation of Israel, uh, from that point on, would celebrate Passover every year from that point on. And they would sacrifice lambs, of course, until they weren't able to do so, but they've still celebrated the day. Did you know, folks, that the day that Jesus was hanging on that cross, He hung there as the Passover lamb? The Bible actually says that He is our Passover. He's the Lamb of God. There's a couple of Old Testament references, including Isaiah 53, that refer to Him directly as the Lamb. There's a reference or two in the Gospels, or, or I'm sorry, two times in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, in the Old Testament, there was a question in Genesis 22, verse 7. And the question was, Where is the Lamb? Where is the substitutionary Lamb? Where is the Lamb that will provide a sacrifice? And that was answered by John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And then now it's echoed in eternity. The Lamb of God. And think about this. Some 28 times in the book of Revelation, that which is to come. The Revelation it comes from the word apocalypse. It's unfortunate that we hear the word apocalypse in our culture. It's a negative word. It just simply means the unveiling or the revealing. So God's going to reveal His Son in the book of Revelation. And yes, that's going to involve judgment. But when He reveals His Son, when the curtain is lifted, He reveals His Son as the Lamb. 28 times Jesus is referred to as the Lamb in the book of Revelation. And I want to share just a, one, one or two of those verses with you. It's kind of cool here. John in Revelation chapter number 5 is looking. And there's somebody that they need to open up the, the, the book that's going to determine, determine all of time and eternity. Somebody who can open and has the right to open the title deed for the earth. And there's nobody found to open it. But then finally an angel speaks up in Revelation 5 verse 5 and says, Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the Lion. That goes back to uh, the book of Genesis as well. He's the Lion. But notice what he sees when he looks at the Lion. Verse 6 of Revelation 5, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. He saw a lamb. Now understand the figurative language here. Jesus did not uh, metamorphosize into a lamb in eternity. It is symbolic language that says that when He saw Him, He saw the same one. So when John the Baptist, it's the same way when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. You didn't look up there and say, Nah, you know, walking down. And it's the same way here in the book of Revelation. It is symbolic language. And what He's saying is, I see the one that hung on the cross. Amen. 
He says, I see the Lamb as it had been slain. And I believe what he's indicating there is, I see those marks. I see those wounds in His hands and in His feet. And he says, I see the lamb having been slain. Verse uh, uh, verse 12 of chapter 5 says, saying with a loud voice. And so uh, as, as he opens this seal and opens the title deed for the earth, the Bible says, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." In other words, the praise in heaven, this sovereign Savior of ours, is to say the one that is sitting on the throne. He will be recognized and appreciated. Why? Because He's the Lamb of God. Because He bears those marks. Revelation 13 verse 8 is another reference to Christ as the Lamb. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship Him, whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So He was a Lamb from the foundation of the world. And understand this about the Lamb of God. The the word Lamb here talks about a little baby Lamb. A little baby sheep. In, in, in Revelation, Satan is referred to as a big, great, red dragon. But the little lamb is having victory over the dragon. Amen. This little lamb is the lamb that's ruling. This little lamb, according to Revelation, is the one who is omnipotent. That's what it talks about when it talks about the seven horns of power. The seven spirits, which talks about his omniscience. His, his, the fact that he's everywhere at once. It's all symbolic language. But it's saying that lamb is the sovereign God of creation. <clears throat> That's Him. God's wrath throughout the book of Revelation. In Revelation 6 verse 16, the Bible says, the wrath of the Lamb. There's cleansing by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 7 14, the church is the bride of the Lamb. In Revelation 19 verse 7 as well as 21 verse 9. He is the Lamb of God. In other words, we will see Him bear those marks. Oh, my friend, to think about the great Lamb of God. And as we think about this, there's going to be a day in heaven where we're going to say, worthy is the Lamb to see receive our praise. Worthy is the Lamb to be the focal point of all time and eternity. But folks, you know what? We need to get a head start on that. And today, we need to proclaim together, worthy is the Lamb. Amen? His scars speak to us of a sure future, of a sure present, of a sure pre- uh, uh, future. And we together can say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You ever worry that some people may have to, uh, uh, I I know this is total uh, hyperbole, but I've heard preachers talk about there being a special little corner over in heaven where he's got a, where the angel has to go teach people how to praise the Lord. (laughs) Now you do like this. You lift up and you say, Amen. Can we all say it, class? You got it? And But you know what? I want to get a head start. Amen? amen. I want to start praising Him right now because He's worthy. Amen. amen. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Amen. Now, hopefully together we can sing and by God's grace, if you're saved together, we will sing that. And you won't need lessons. Amen? I'm just teasing. But listen, there's many that may believe in Christ as the Creator, but have you trusted Him as your Redeemer? Jesus said this in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. If you do not know this Savior that paid the price for you, will you open up the door to him today? I love that application. It's a beautiful picture for someone that's not saved. God knocks at your door as you sit there. Some people think I'm going to leave and then I'll be okay, but God keeps knocking at your door when you leave. Amen. Aren't you glad for that, anybody? Aren't you glad you opened that door? Hey, that's a great... But you know what? The truth of that... that we, we use that in application. It's a great application, but the interpretation of that passage is simple. It's to you and to me. It's to the church. You know what? There's some of us that need to open up the door of our lives and say, Lord, you come on in. You call the shots. Amen. You're my Savior, but I want you to I, I want to surrender my life to you and let you have your will in your way. There was an orphan boy that was living with his grandmother when their house caught fire. The grandmother, trying to get upstairs to rescue the boy, perished in the flames. The boy's cries for help were finally answered by a man who the only way he could find him, he couldn't go through the front door. There was no other way. He was upstairs. So the boy found an iron, the man found an iron drain pipe that led up the side right by a window. So this man scaled this iron drain pipe and came, came back down with this boy hanging tightly around his neck. Several weeks later, a public hearing was held to determine who would receive custody of the child. A farmer and a teacher and, a, and the town's wealthiest citizen all gave reasons they felt that they should be chosen to give a boy a home. Many were touched by his story. But as they talked, the lad's eyes remained focused on the floor. Then a stranger walked into the front and slowly took his hands from his pockets, revealing severe scars where his hands had been burned on that iron pipe. The crowd gasped, and the boy cried out in recognition. This was the man who had saved his life. His hands had been burned when he climbed that hot pipe. And with a leap, the boy threw his arms around the man's neck and held on for dear life. The other man silently walked away, leaving the boy and his rescuer alone. Those marred hands had settled to whom this boy belonged to who this boy wanted to go with. Amen. And I don't know about you this morning, but when I look at the hands of the Lamb of God, when I look at those scars, I say, Lord, I'm with you. Amen. He's the one that came and rescued me. He's the one when all hope was gone. He's the one when nothing else would work. He came and rescued me. Hallelujah. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the one who shed His blood for me. Worthy is the one who bore my sins. So today, His scars speak as we all stand. His scars speak. His scars plead with you to come to Him and repentance and salvation. Please do not ignore their voice. Listen, there's coming a day when He's going to sit on a throne of judgment. Today, these scars speak to you if you're not saved. And you know what they say? Come! I've paid the price. I've done all that needs to be done. They say to you today, come. But folks, if you refuse and you decide you're going to accept and pay for God's judgment yourself, pay for your sins yourself, these scars will be a testimony against you. As He sits on that great white throne of judgment, they will be there as an irrefutable witness to your guilt and condemnation. There will be no excuse that day. How, how on earth can you look at the Lamb that was slain for you 
and have any excuse whatsoever to offer. You don't have an excuse to offer now. You know what? If you're not saved, you need to come to Him today. And He'll save you once and for all. Child of God, many of us know the truths of this message. We sit there and we say amen and we rejoice and as well as we should. But we need to speak of these scars. We need to speak as well, don't we? We need to speak to our friends and our loved ones. The way has been made. The price has been paid. Will you enter in? Will you open up the door? Will you trust Him? What a great God you are, Lord. And I want to just say right here to you publicly, worthy is the Lamb. What are you worthy of? You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of my surrender, Lord. You're worthy for me to say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. You're worthy. You deserve it. You deserve my best. You deserve for me just to trust You and to believe Your Word and to let You have Your will and Your way in my life. Thank You for Your message, dear Lord. The message that You speak through Your scars, through those wounds. Thank You for that, dear Lord.